appreciate your attitude so much. And uh, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but uh, Terry and Sandra Corsi, this is their grandson. So, Gavin, it is your pulpit, brother. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good, good, good. So if any of you guys are worried about uh, making it to Sunday lunch today, you don't have to worry. They got the youth intern up here today, so we're going to be out of here quick, fast, and in a hurry. So no worries about that there. But have any of you guys ever had an experience where, where you look back at it and you're like, like God really has an interesting sense of humor? So like Craig mentioned, when I got here, one of the first days I got here, he, came, he comes up to me and he says, hey, Gavin. We want to offer you this opportunity to preach. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen, dude. No, absolutely not. There's no way in the world I'm going to get up here and preach. Well, clearly, God had different plans. Throughout the rest of the internship, God really began to convict me. I really began to feel these just deep convictions that I needed to get up here and preach. And I began to feel these convictions about what he wanted me to preach on. And so finally, I was like, okay, whatever, God, like, I'll just, I'll, I'll say I'll do it. And then if I don't end up doing it, whatever, you know, it'll be okay. And then fast forward to last week, I was sitting back there in that back single chair. And Craig, I love you, man. But I was not listening to a single word that you were saying. I was petrified. I was so scared that I, in seven days, in one week's time, I was going to have to be up here preaching to a congregation. I was so terrified. And I swear in that moment, God was sitting on his throne looking down at me and saying, oh, you silly child, if only you knew. Because in that moment, Craig gets up and he says, sometimes we feel these convictions to do something, but we're just too scared to do it. And I was like, God, I really don't like you right now, man. Like, come on. Like, that's literally exactly what I've been worried about this whole time. But yet you're just preaching to me right now, God. And so, yeah, here I am. Other than that. Um, another thing that God has really been teaching me throughout this internship is that regardless of what we choose to do with our lives, as Christians, our purpose, our goal is to pursue Christ-likeness in all that we do. And the way to do that is to look in the word, to read the gospel, to look at the example that Jesus set for us. And by doing that, I think one thing that we realize is that Jesus was countercultural. Jesus was nothing like the people of the world. Jesus said things that were very difficult for people to hear. Jesus didn't talk about the easy things. Jesus talked about the difficult things to talk about. And so today, I want to take that step of faith. I want us to be real with ourselves. I want to talk about something that is difficult to hear. That is difficult to talk about. And so as I begin, I want all of us to be honest with ourselves. I want all of us to think about our country. If we look at the people in our world, there are so many people who are struggling. There are so many people who are crying out for help. There is so much injustice going on in our world. There are people that are being judged for the smallest things, for maybe the color of their skin, for maybe because they don't agree with somebody else, 
because they don't have the same mindset as somebody else, because they don't look like somebody else, or they don't dress like somebody else, or they don't vote like somebody else. But if we think about it, if we allow God to really look inside of us and to dig deep in our hearts, each and every one of us is guilty of that as well. Each and every one of us at some point in time in our lives have judged somebody for an unjust reason. And so today, I want to talk about how Jesus responded in the midst of injustice. Because I think that if we look at our world, there is injustice all around us, and we need guidance on how to act. And so if you'll take a look at the screen, today I'll be reading from James 2, 14 through 19. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So as I've read this verse, as I've studied this verse, and as I've looked at the example that Jesus set for us in the Gospels, it is clear to me that action is so important. That God didn't just send Jesus to die on the cross for us to believe and for us to have faith, but for us to just sit back. I don't believe that God inspired this word right here in order for us to read it and just believe, but not allow it to shape our, our actions and not allow it to shape our thoughts. And so if you're like me, you think about our country. You see the injustice, but you think about yourself. You think about how is such a small person supposed to act and supposed to make a change in something that is so big and so broad. And if you're like me, you don't know how to act. You hear what James is writing here, that we cannot just have faith alone, but our faith needs to guide our actions. But you don't know how to act. But the greatest thing about this word right here is that this is our instruction manual. We don't have to know how to act on our own because we have this book that is inspired by God that tells us how to act. We have this book that if we read, it shows us how to act. And so today, that's what I want us to do. Today, I want us to dive into the word, to dive into the gospel, and to see how Jesus acted in the midst of injustice. So that way we can in turn apply it to our lives and apply it to the situations that we are dealing with in our world today. And so the first thing that I that I see that Jesus did is that Jesus allowed God to shape his thoughts. Jesus didn't allow the world to shape his thoughts, to shape his opinions, to shape what he believed about things, but he gave God time 
Multiple times in the Bible, it talks about how, how Jesus went up on a mountain alone and he prayed. If the Son of God needs to take that time to pray, why wouldn't we? If the Son of God needed to allow, to, needed to allow his Father to shape his thoughts, then I think we need to do that just as much. And I think by allowing, when Jesus allowed God to shape his thoughts, that's when his actions were led. That's when his actions became godly actions and not worldly actions. My favorite verse, my lifelong favorite verse, is Romans 12, 2, where it says, Do not conform to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the latter part of that verse talks about how by doing that, when we allow God to transform us, when we allow God to renew our minds, then we will know his will. Then we will know his perfect will. So by allowing God to shape our thoughts, by allowing God to shape our minds, then we are also allowing God to shape our actions. And I think that is so important. Because as Christians, if we are acting like the world, what difference are we making? If we are not allowing ourselves to act the way that Jesus acted, then what difference are we really making? And so today, the first action step I would encourage all of us to take is to give God that time. To give God that time to, to renew your mind, to renew your thoughts, so that we will know his will for us. So that way we will know how we are supposed to act, how we as Christians are called to act. The second thing that I see that Jesus did is that he empathized. If we look in, later on in that chapter in Romans, we read that, that we are called to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And quite frankly, if we look at our world today, we don't have to look far. We don't have to look far to find somebody that's mourning. There are people that are crying out for help right now that are crying because they have lost somebody in their life. They have been unjustly judged for such a small reason. They have been treated wrongly for no reason. And so I want, I want us to take a look at the story of Lazarus. Jesus knew that he was about to perform a miracle. Jesus knew it. Jesus knew that he was going to go and he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But yet when he approaches him, he sees that the Jews are mourning, that they are crying. And, if, and in verse 35, if you are attempting to, to work on memorizing scripture, I encourage you to start with this one because it is two words. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Even though he knew that he was going to perform a miracle and that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he wept. So I encourage each and every one of us, if we see somebody that is mourning, if we see people who are crying out for help, then as Christians, let's take that step. Let's take that step and say, look, brother, sister, we are here for you. 
We love you. You are a child of God, the same as me. You do not deserve the things that have been happening to you, but you deserve love and you deserve peace, just like the rest of us. And my third point, I think the most important out of them all is that Jesus loved. If we take a look in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes that we can have the most, we can have the strongest faith. We can talk the most religious talk. We can sound like the Pharisees. But if we do not love, then we are just a clanging symbol. We are just a symbol that is making noise. But we are doing nothing. We can have faith that is strong enough to move mountains. But if we do not love, then we are nothing. I think that this perfectly reiterates what James is saying here in James 2. That we can have a faith. We can have the strongest faith out of anybody. But if we do not allow our faith in this word, in this truth, to shape our actions and to shape our thoughts, and if our actions and our thoughts are not rooted in love, then we are nothing. Our thoughts and our actions are nothing. And if we are called to be like Christ, if our purpose in life is to pursue Christ-likeness, then how can we accept anything less than the example that Jesus set for us? Jesus sets this perfect example of how to, to shape your actions in love. To, to allow God to renew your mind so it will shape your actions and that your actions would be rooted out of love. If we take a look at the story of the woman in the well, there is a female Gentile and Jesus is a male Jew. They have no reason to be together. They have no reason to talk to each other. By the world's standards, it is looked down upon for Jesus as a male to go and talk to her. But he does not allow those worldly standards to tell him what he should or should not do. He does not allow those worldly differences to tell him what he should or should not do and to shape his thoughts. But yet he goes to her and he loves her. He goes to her and he cares for her. He embraces her the same that he embraces somebody that is like him. And if we look in the word, the word says that through God, there is neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, because we are all one in Christ. It does not matter what we look like. We are all one through the love that Jesus has given us. We are all one in the body of Christ. And so today, in our time, in this world where there is injustice all around us, where there are people that are crying and there are people that are mourning because they have been treated wrongly. I want to challenge each and every one of us 
I want to challenge us to allow God to renew our minds. I want to challenge us to give that time to God to shape our thoughts and to shape our actions and to renew our minds and to transform us. I want to challenge each and every one of us to empathize and to mourn with those who are mourning. That there, if there are people who are crying out for our help, then why should the church not be the first group of people to say, we are here for you. We love you. I challenge us to love and to not love those who love us, to not just love those who are like us, but to love the body of Christ. To love the body of Christ as one. And most importantly, I challenge us to pursue Christ like to pursue Christ-likeness in all that we do. To pursue Christ-likeness in our thoughts. To pursue Christ-likeness in our opinions. To pursue Christ-likeness in the things that we say. And to pursue Christ-likeness in our actions. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this time that we are able to come together and to worship you in your holy name. Lord, I realize that in this time of injustice, God, you are calling on us as your body, as your, as your children, to be the first to take the step of action towards ending the injustice of our world. God, I thank you for the example that you have set for us through Jesus Christ. God, I pray that each and every one of us here in this room today would allow God, would allow you to shape our thoughts and that we would, we would look at the example that Jesus sets for us in the Gospels and that we would shape our thoughts through the example that he has set for us. God, we love you. God, we thank you that you love us, that you love each and every one of us unconditionally. Lord, I pray that as we leave today, that you would begin to put action steps on our hearts in order to end the injustice of our world. Amen.